Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Glade Holman is one of the founding members of LearningBridge, a company that gathers feedback and converts this data into information that is increasingly useful for their clients. Glade has 20 years of experience working with senior executives at global firms like Procter & Gamble, Citigroup, JP Morgan, Visa International, and GlaxoSmithKline. Glade is passionate about using strategy as a leadership tool. He really likes to work with individual leaders on how to combine the human dimension of leadership along with an analytical dimension. And as part of that work, he's very good at using feedback as a foundational starting point for growth and development. Hello, Glade. Hi, Ed, thanks for for having me on. I'm excited to have the conversation today. We are thrilled that you're here and certainly some of your work uh, will be interesting to our listeners, especially when we talk a little bit more about data and analytics, because sometimes uh, you have to be brave in uh, in an effort to share data and analytics versus stories, which we hear a lot about from folks. You know, I took a uh, light uh, effort to introduce you, and I'm wondering if you could spend a few more minutes telling our listeners about yourself and perhaps how you currently interact in the marketplace. Sure. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, well, as you mentioned, uh, one of the founders of Learning Bridge, which actually grew out of my consulting work um, that was originally focused on how do we build strategic leadership skills in leaders. And as part of that, folks kept saying, can you help us measure the leadership capabilities that are present in our organization? And that's where Learning Bridge kind of came in, came into play because we got asked that question about six times uh, within six months. And we said, there's an opportunity here. Market so, opportunity. Yeah. And that, and that, and that opened up this notion of how do we capture information that's useful, particularly around leadership um, and how that leadership applies to strategy um, and make it useful to organizations and individuals so they can thrive. So that's where it kind of started. Um, and it came out of a lot of work that I was doing early on. We would do management simulations where an organization would bring me in to observe their people, either in a live setting or in a simulated setting for a period of three or four days. And then we do a full day's worth of feedback. Um, and so I really had to focus my attention on how do I provide information to individuals that will help them improve and grow. And um, after feeling the heat to do that, particularly when I was younger in my career, I got pretty good at it. Um, And I'm very passionate now at trying to help other people get good at it, not just at giving it, but receiving it. Because I know that the individuals that succeed in this 
in their career, they really have one characteristic that if I said, if you could have this one, it would make you successful. And that's to, you know, number one, accept feedback graciously, and number two, act on it visibly. Um, if you can do those two things, you can go just about as far as you want. Um, and you know, as you get higher up the organization, sometimes you get less and less access to that feedback. So I'm very passionate at trying to open up those channels um, for everyone because it will help them thrive and get what they want. I, I see feedback as something, I'll term it as generative feedback, not constructive, not positive, but generative. It creates energy and it's beneficial to the, to the receiver as well as to the organization. So I'm passionate about that right now. Um, we're trying to get that as broadly out there and, and build that skill set as widely as we can because it helps individuals, it helps teams, and it helps organizations. Um, and it's really a foundational principle. Well, it sounds fantastic and on a variety of fronts, Glade. And, you know, the one area I'd like to go back and just talk a little bit about is this simulation experience because, you know, when we give people feedback or when we have moments of bravery where we want to share something with somebody that might be a little edgy or hard to say, it can either be uh, instant, like right after a meeting and you say, hey, Glade, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? I want to provide you some feedback from the meeting we just left or scheduled, right, where it's in June of every year is when I give feedback as part of our performance assessment process. So it sounds as though simulations provide opportunities where feedback's a little bit more instant where somebody does something and experiences something, and then either right after or an hour later or a day later, you give them feedback on what you experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. You're right. It is instant. And one of the advantages you have in doing it is, is you don't have the possibility that someone's got an ax to grind, you know, to kind of even a score because it's not in a real life situation per se. Um, and so the, the stakes are a little bit lower because oftentimes what I'll try and do in the work I do around feedback is lower the stakes so that the, you know, threat response and the amygdala doesn't get triggered. Because as soon as that amygdala is triggered, because I think my safety, my livelihood, my, my professional career is at risk because of what I'm hearing, I'm not going to hear it anymore because all the blood's going to drain from my prefrontal cortex and go to my lungs and my limbs. And so I want to do what I can to keep the blood flow, in, I'll say, in the prefrontal cortex where the oxygen can live up there because you're completely starved of your ability to reason at the very time you need to be able to do so. So, you know, in a simulated environment, you've got a leg up because it's not real life. But that's not oftentimes the experience that you and I have. You mentioned going in right after an event. And usually the very phrase of, hey, I got a little bit of feedback for you, you know, boom, the amygdala is front and center and says, uh-oh, um, and I've already kind of stopped, stopped back. So I try, um, I try and get things uh, away from this because um, for some people, feedback is a trigger word. Um, it's a threat uh, because feedback's usually been used against them um, in the work setting rather than for them. Um, you know, if I'm in athletics and I get feedback, it's helping me be a better player. If I'm in a professional setting, oh no, I'm not going to get my bonus. You know, I'm a, I'm a three, I'm a, I'm a only meets expectations. And so there's this measure and assess framework that if I could scratch that out of, of a corporation's mindset, I would, and I'd replace it with a grow and improve framing. Because if I can take a grow and improve framing, that's going to help me stay away from the amygdala getting triggered because it's now there for my benefit. Everyone, human beings, it's part of our nature. We want to grow. We want to improve. And that's why we have hobbies. And so I want to tap into that desire to grow and improve rather than the fear that comes with measure and assess. Um, and so that's the first thing, um, if you can change that mindset. And I will use grow and improve language and try and avoid measure and assess at every chance when I'm actually giving feedback to someone or helping them accept it. Well, I even attempt to avoid and I uh, encourage my clients to avoid 
the word feedback because to your point it's been hijacked by others and you know if you think energy gets low when you have to go networking and it's like oh i gotta go out and meet people it's always so hard to do uh similar with feedback if someone says hey can i share some feedback with you your mind instantly thinks it's going to be critical that's uh, just the way we just are, right? So, you know, I agree with you that uh, there are other words we can use and other ways that we can present that that won't trigger and will be a little bit more received. Yet, in all those experiences, you still must have met people, even though these were, you know, uh, falsely created environments and uh, simulations, who still, did they still get irritated or frustrated? Their, their neck got red or they could, you could, they still got angry because they were getting critical feedback? Yep. You get both responses, right? You get the anger, and then you also get the tears. Um, and they're both equally kind of signals that, you know, something's going on there that is going to limit their ability to really process the information and turn it to their value and their benefit. Um, and so when you experience someone in that, um, you're kind of trapped a little bit until time can kind of come in and play its part, simply because biologically, it's just not possible for them. The, the, everything is right there in the prefrontal cortex where your personality is. Um, and so they're not really themselves. Once that signals so that you can see the flight, you know, freeze and uh, kind of fight response setting in, you know right off the bat that they're not themselves in the best position to, to understand that. And so I'll tell folks, like I, I remember working with a fellow, he just would always, whatever came, boy, it was an automatic response to just hit back in a hurry. You know, his, it was a fight before it was even never a question of flight. It was always fight and it didn't take anything to trigger him. And my one thing was saying, look, as soon as you get I just need you to look at your watch and have it always in front of you. And when that first response comes, I, I need you to look down and watch the second hand. And I want you to watch it go all the way around once and then go 30 seconds more. Because I actually know biologically, if you can blank out that response for 90 seconds, you can start to send out different um, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters that will counteract that fight and flight response. So it can take up to 20 minutes to kind of reestablish and get the blood flow back. Um, but the first thing is 90 seconds. If I can avoid him getting re-triggered within 90 seconds, you know, the first trigger happened because the amygdala is right there at the, you know, the brain stem and it got there before it got to the prefrontal cortex. Um, but the second one he can control. And just that alone, just the 90 seconds pause before you respond was a help. But when I see someone's in that spot, I know that they've been triggered and I want to get the blood flow reestablished. I'll do everything I can to demonstrate it's not a threat. Um, if I can let them know, and this happens with managers too, um, when a manager is there to manage you and act, maximize your output, um, that's probably gonna trigger a response that's not productive. When a manager is there with the framing is, I'm here to help you be successful, um, then you've got a really good chance at not having that amygdala get triggered. But so it's, I wish I could change the manager's view from I'm here to optimize the bent, the outcome, which is, you know, the organization hired me to get results. You're one of the things I use to get results. So now let me go. Don't give feedback within that frame. Switch it and say, I'm here to make you successful. And I need to know how I can help you do that. Um, and I'm going to understand your capacity to receive feedback and your perception of what, you know, the demand is on you, but I'm on your side. Um, and that might mean that maybe I'm going to push you in a different responsibility or suggest you work someplace else. Um, it's still going to be a very brave conversation, but I'm still doing it from the perspective I'm on your side. I mean, you've probably had examples where you sit down with somebody and it's like, you know what, your best option is to look for a new job, you know? Well, and be brave. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So uh, oftentimes when I work with clients, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but every once in a while when I work with a client and in a book I wrote, I have a chapter called Play the Hand You've Been Dealt. And you know, a number of people need to fold, right? I mean, you're, you're just going to get hired at a company. It's not going to be a good fit. A lot of times people go from not folding to bluffing. So they pretend that it's working and they pretend it's going to get better and they keep pretending and pretending. And next thing you know, three to five years have gone by and they still don't fit. Uh, You know, sometimes it's appropriate to fold. You know, hiring is not some kind of magic experience that it works every time it happens. And sometimes you have to make an assessment to say, hey, you know, I really didn't read the cards well on this particular opportunity. Things have changed significantly from when I first started, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I need to get out and continue to drive my career so that I can ensure that I am making the right next step. So, you know, part of what you know, you're talking about, which I think is great, is also ensuring that when you are looking for moments to be brave with people, you know, that you're very present. But and when I say present, you're also very aware of them. And so I tell people all the time, you know, as you're providing this feedback, uh, while you're talking, you have to be very observant of the other person, because if you start to see that gosh darn amygdala start, you know, getting triggered or their neck starts getting red or they start grinding, you know, you need to pause because it's probably not having the interaction that you thought it would. And you need to say something like, hey, I'm going to pause for a second because I don't think what I'm saying is hitting you in the way that I've intended. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? And you also said something, Glade, which I think is great for our listeners, is even before you have to be brave with people, uh, start building a relationship with them where you can say, hey, I want to help you be successful as we grow and evolve in this organization. How can I do that? before these opportunities even come up. And you would hope they would say, well, look, if you ever see me say or do something that you think I could have done more effectively, let me know. And you would say, okay. And then six months down the road, when that pops, you can say, hey, remember that conversation six months ago where you asked me to come to you when, yes, I'm here, right? I've got some feedback for you. So at least, you know, you, you're asked for permission and you're getting permission in order to, to have an effective conversation. So, you know, the other thing, Glade, I want to talk a little bit about is something that we've been speaking more and more on the podcast regarding is not just me being brave with somebody else, but also the reaction or the response from the person hearing the feedback. Because if you exist in a culture where it's okay to have critical or edgy feedback for somebody and it's received well, that's great. And that means you're likely to do it. If you work for a boss who does not like feedback, does not want feedback, does not care what you have to say, your likelihood of providing it is less. And in a prior conversation, we talked about something I think you are involved in, which you call feedback jujitsu. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that. And I'd love to talk for a few minutes about the two sides of the relationship, the feedback giver who is being brave and the feedback receiver who creates the ability for the person to be brave. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And I'll say a little bit and then maybe twist that just a a quick notion. When we introduce this notion of feedback jujitsu to help the receiver, um, primarily, so it's like when you think of jujitsu, it's a you know it's an ancient you know uh, Japanese martial arts that was in response to the samurai knight. It's like how can I go up and take on a samurai knight? You know I don't have the training, I don't have the the great sword, I don't have everything. They were at the, the pinnacle, right? I'm just a peasant. Um, how could I ever hope to to fight them? 
Well, that's where that notion of, you know, when they're coming at you, you use their momentum to your benefit. You don't meet them face to face and challenge to challenge and sword for sword. You take that energy and then you manipulate that energy to be to your benefit. So that notion of whatever the feedback that's coming at me. So let's take a scenario where the manager is giving me the recipient the feedback rather than the let me start there and then reverse it. And that that feedback, maybe or maybe it's somebody else. So I might think it's coming from a space like even ill will. And it's being inartfully delivered. Um, I can still, with feedback jujitsu, this notion of, well, let me take whatever's coming at me and then manipulate it to my benefit, to, to, to use the energy and power behind that to make it happen. And we'll talk about six moves that they can use um, to do that. You know, so like if it's and the first one, and, and you, you know, one of the first ones is that measure and assess framework, get out of that, get into grow and improve. But maybe one that'll immediately kind of register with you is you've got to be able to kind of depersonalize the feedback. And remind yourself that whatever's coming at you, it's not about you, right? No one has the window into the core motivations of who you are as a human being. We're far more than what anybody sees between nine and five, right? And so remind yourself initially, I'll just say, just play this on loop. It's not about me. It's about what they see. Um, it's not about me. It's about what they see. That'll be like the first move because that that helps you to avoid getting the amygdala triggered because if it's about you, then your identity is at stake. You know, then your core being is at stake. It's not about me, it's about what they see. So then I can be computer, I can be curious about what they see. Um, and then I can deal with it later, you know. So there's a series that we go through to help them be able to absorb whatever it is, even the ill will, like I said, um, and because not everyone has the benefit of being blessed with great feedback providers around them. Um, we do a lot of training on that, but we don't do enough training on how to receive it. Um, so that was the focus of feedback jujitsu. Now, you can use it on, well, okay, I can flip that and say, well, how can I give feedback that, you know, won't trigger the amygdala in the, in the, rece in the giver or in the receiver? I can, I can do it both ways. You talk about the power distance of, you know, I'm a junior person. I'm trying to give feedback up that might not be welcome. Um, how can I do that? Um, if they're the, because this person has the ability to create, you know, that, that environment where feedback is welcomed or not. But I'm still impact. How can I give the feedback up? Um, I and this, this may sound a little bit. You you probably have the opportunity to give feedback to people that are extremely overconfident, um, and you've got to find a different way to deal with someone who believes they don't need feedback than with someone that does. Um, and I found that even when you're in a junior spot, one of the first things you've got to do is you got to talk about the outcome. You got to talk about the end result. And if you talk about them initially. You're, you're not going to have great success. So it might be that when I go to that manager and I say, you know what, I'm trying to achieve X, Y, or Z um, out there right now, and I'm not doing as good as I could. The manager cares about me being able to be productive in what my output is. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about what I'm able to do. Um, and I can say, now, part of that is because I haven't figured out the best way for me to work with what you have to offer me. Um, and I want to address that with you now. I'll tell you, so I, I kind of help folks walk through the impact chain. You know, that individual does this. Um, this is the impact it has on to me, and this is the outcome that it has. And we want to change the outcome. Um, and so now we can work back through the behavior set. But if I keep it outcome focused, like I want to get better at being able to do that, rather than you as a leader need to change, is the first thing I'm saying. Um, I find that they'll have much more success in having an open conversation with the manager because he also cares about the output. Um, so that, that's one of the ways you can shift it. No, it makes perfect sense. And I would tell you that uh, 
you know, this is something that providing feedback and bravery have in common because at no time in junior high school or high school or college did I ever attend a class on how to be braver or how to provide effective feedback. And, uh, you know, I went to school and I certainly studied uh, technical classes like economics and marketing, and then I get a job. And at the job, they're like, okay, now you have to go give feedback to everybody. And of course, I didn't say this, but you know, I'm sure my body is saying, well, where do I start? How do I do it? You know, how do I begin, right? Because I had no idea. So to go back to something you said a few moments ago, I am sure most leaders are surrounded by people who are horrible at giving feedback, whether it's positive or constructive. And likewise, I think most leaders aren't well structured to have someone come in and say, hey, Glade, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? I wanted to provide you some feedback from that meeting we had this morning uh, that I think would be helpful for you. Uh, quite frankly, if someone, I don't know that anyone ever did that for me when I was in corporate America, and if anyone ever did, you know, I would have been like speechless, like what? You wanna provide me feedback to help me, right? Where's this coming from? But we need more of that, right? We need to help each other be more effective. We need to help people build their self-awareness on how others are experiencing them in the workplace so that they can self-manage more effectively. Yeah. You know, one thing you said makes me think of one of the other moves we talk about in Feedback Jiu-Jitsu, which is it's not about last time, it's about next time. Um, and so when you made that scenario, hey, you just presented that, I got a little feedback for you. Um, that puts them in, you know, that, that, that one frame that, that, well, that may be true and a great way to start. It does keep them looking back. I want to move them to looking forward as soon as they can, because when someone's looking forward, they're much more different to accepting guidance around what's gonna happen next time than they are critiquing last time. So I'll always say, hey, you know, in addition to that phrase, it's not about me, it's what they see. The next one is, it's not about last time, it's about next time. Um, and so I wanna shift from, you know, that idea of, hey, you just gave that presentation. I know you're gonna give one again in a couple of weeks. Let's talk about next time and what we can learn from what we just experienced here to what can happen next time. So I always keep the front, you know, keep them looking forward more than backwards because that, again, involves the prefrontal cortex for planning for next time versus the amygdala, which has got to defend what happened last time. So right. don't defend what's last time. Let's talk about next time. Well, I think as we're closing out, Glade, if there's one lesson any of our listeners can take from our call is that one. What a great context setting observation to say to folks that if you want to be braver in the workplace, uh, as you're structuring the feedback that you're giving, Think about the fact that it's not about the last time, it's about the next time. This isn't about beating them up about what they just did, but helping prep them and prepare them and think a little bit differently. So next time it's done a little bit better, right? Because oftentimes, unfortunately, and you know, we won't have time to, you know, provide an autopsy on this topic, but we get stuck on the last time, right? Regurgitating, talking and defending and explaining, and we never even get to the next time. So, Glade, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. And if folks want to talk with you more about the work you're doing, uh, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Sure, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you could also go to our website at learningbridge.com, um, LinkedIn, learningbridge.com, Glade there. I'm always happy to engage in conversations. I'm very passionate about learning what I can do next time to be more effective. And I find every conversation I have um, that doesn't have to even you know, lead to a business opportunity, it does put me in a position to learn and grow. And I wanna help other people do that too. So please reach out and engage in conversations. If you've got some insights, I wanna hear them um, because I know I can learn and grow. I'm not a finished product and I hope you know, <laughs> none of us are. And as long as we keep that framing, then next time does matter. 
and we're much more receptive to it. So appreciate the opportunity and, I, and thanks for the conversation. Fantastic, Lade. Well, thank you for your thoughts and observations. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.